well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and I'm glad that you're with us on the program today. All black seemed kind of appropriate, right? Uh, coming up on the uh, show, we're going to talk with Nikki Gozer. I mentioned this on yesterday's program. Uh, longtime Second Amendment activist, uh, executive director of the Crime Prevention Research Center. We're not going to be talking about what's going on at the Crime Prevention Research Center. We're going to be talking about what's going on with Nikki's uh, own situation. You know, uh, more than a decade ago, Nikki's husband was murdered right in front of her, and the man who was responsible for that heinous killing has continued to try to stalk Nikki from behind bars. Uh, we're going to get an update uh, on that situation. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention what's going on in both Washington, D.C. today uh, and down in Georgia, where it looks like uh, at this point, Democrats have taken at least one of the two seats necessary uh, to gain control of the U.S. Senate. The race between David Perdue and John Ossoff is still uh, too close to call, but it is not looking good either for uh, Senator David Perdue. Uh, what does this mean for the Second Amendment going forward? I have a piece of Bearing Arms talking about this today. I'd encourage you to check it out. But we're also going to be talking much more about this uh, on tomorrow's program with some special guests. Uh, it, it, just that today, honestly, um, between the time that I sit down and record this and it takes time to upload, things are moving so quickly that I'm I'm honestly afraid that if I get into this discussion today, by the time this gets posted, it's got to be out of date. Uh, so we're going to focus on everything going on in Washington, D.C. on tomorrow's program uh, because there are some big concerns. Uh, but if you do want a sneak peek, if you want a preview, again, go check out to my piece at BarryAndArms.com on the self-immolation of the GOP and what this means for our right to keep and bear arms going forward uh, in the near future, at least. All right. With that, let's turn our attention to today's conversation. Again, very pleased to uh, have Nikki Gozer sit down with us. It's an awful topic. I wish we were talking about something better, uh, but I'm really pleased that she could join us to 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 shine a light on what happens after the headlines stop, after the uh, media coverage disappears in a case like this, and why the fight for justice doesn't end. Uh, even when the public attention might disappear. Take a look and a listen. Nikki, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's so good talking with you. Thanks for having me on, Cam. A absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want to have you back in the new year talking about what's going on with the uh, Crime Prevention Research Center, but this is obviously a much more personal story. Um, and I've, I've, I've kind of laid out the facts for, uh, for our audience here, but um, can you just kind of tell us how we got to this point where the man who is in prison right now, convicted of, of killing your husband, uh, is now facing these additional charges of, of allegedly stalking you from behind bars? Yeah, it was in, uh, it was around October of 2019 um, when I found out from my former attorney that I used my wrongful death suit against this man um my stalker was sending me twisted love letters from prison and what he was doing is he was sending them to my former attorney and um it had my name on the outside of the envelope obviously they were letters to me 
And um, when I found out, I was just in complete shock. Um, I, you know, I knew that there was a chance that this guy could still write letters. Um, he had sent two letters. Um, the first letters, there were two letters that were sent before the murder trial. And um, I was just absolutely a basket case. And I notified the prosecutor, the detective, the victim witness coordinator. I let everyone know. I sent them copies of the letters asking for help. You know, maybe I need to get a restraining order. He needs extra charges. And no one did anything. And I just, I was devastated and I gave up. And so I told my attorney, I said, please just don't tell me anymore. Because yeah. I can't handle this. I was doing it to protect myself mentally. It was just, it was too much. So um, anyway, when I found out about all these other letters that have come after all these years, and I, I, you know, my attorney honored my wishes. I mean, I was devastated. And um, he knew how severe this was for me. So he honored my wishes and he didn't tell me. And um, I called him up because I was working on my book about, Ben's murder mm -hmm. and what I've been through and when I asked him you know I asked him oh god you know I wonder if there are more letters if there are I need to include it in the book and you know it's like you it's real mixed emotions you you don't want to know yeah but not knowing doesn't help you in the long run it it hurts you like I had nightmares couldn't sleep all the anxiety and stress and this devastation came back, and I had worked really hard to get my life back together. But ultimately, I don't think it helps victims to not know, because you need to know so that you can make decisions for yourself and your, and your own safety. So when you found out that, that these letters had continued, um, what, was, what was your, uh, obviously your reaction, you just talked about, but but when did you decide, all right, I'm going to fight this. This is, this is not going to stand. There should be consequences here. Immediately. I hired an attorney, um, right away as soon as I could. And, um, because I wanted it to be taken seriously. Yeah. I didn't want to just go to law enforcement myself and say, Hey, you know, here's what's happening. And the same thing happened again where people ignore me. I wanted this to be taken seriously this time, and I knew I would have to hire an attorney um, to help me do that. And it took a long time. Um, it took almost a year for anyone to really pay attention to what I was saying. I ended up actually having to go to the media. Um, it's terrible that a victim has to go to the media to, to get people to take this seriously and to help, but that's what I ended up having to do. You know, and you're right. It is sad that that, that that's how the, the justice system works, but, or, or doesn't work. Um, that's how it operates. But unfortunately, you know, that is the case. Um, you know, if you're able to raise that, that public awareness and that puts public pressure. Um, and ultimately it sounds like it, it, it did help you go in public and talking to the media about what was going on because, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, there in Tennessee got involved in this case. Yeah, yeah. The Department of Justice has charged Hank Wise with um, stalking by mail, and it 
it carries a five-year uh, federal prison sentence if he's convicted, which he will be. He should be, uh, you know. Um, but even, I have to tell you, five years is still not enough. I mean, I, I'm going to yeah. take what I can get, believe right. me. Because every year that he remains locked up is another year that I don't have to look over my shoulder. You know, well, yeah, and because he had gotten what he got 23 years in in state prison for for murdering your husband. But tell tell me about this. He's been getting basically good time credits while he's been behind bars, even though he's been trying to contact you. Is that right? Yeah, I learned that he's been allowed to earn early release good behavior credits and he has already earned the maximum amount, which is three and a half years. And, um, someone like me, that matters. He, this is not good behavior. He should not be rewarded with early release. That man should serve his full sentence and then some. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And what has been the response I mean, obviously, you've objected about this. You, you, you know, you're not just telling me about this. But what has the response been from the Department of Corrections when, when you've asked them, why is this guy earning, you know, why is he getting early release credits uh, for good behavior when he's not, uh, it, you know, been on his best behavior behind bars when he's continued to try to contact you? I think they're perplexed as well <laughs> as myself. Okay. Um, that whole early release credit is done through the Tennessee Department of Corrections. It's, it's at the state level. So all of that has to be addressed through Tennessee Department of Corrections, which I've asked over and over and over again that those credits be revoked. And they're not doing it. You know, at first they said, um, well, you know, prisoner rights advocates will get upset if you take away these credits from an inmate. And then I kept pressing, and they said, well, we can't touch his early release because he's not been charged with a crime. So now he is charged with a crime. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what excuse they're going to use at this point. I'm hoping that they will do the right thing and revoke all of his early release. Yeah, absolutely. Um and in the meantime, since your story has started getting some attention, and by the way, we should we should update folks. Where are we now in this federal case uh, against Hank Wise? Um, has this already have the proceedings already started? Have there been any hearings? Um, there was one hearing to just basically he was arrested. Okay, which sounds kind of crazy, but he was in the state prison, and the federal agents went into the state prison, arrested him transferred him he, they transported him over to the uh, federal courthouse for his first hearing and it was basically just a judge letting him know you know he's been charged what the charges are his rights all of that and then yesterday was the preliminary hearing to see if there's probable cause and that judge uh, did find that there is indeed definitely probable cause so this case will move forward the next hearing will probably be sometime in March Okay. And that's when it will go before a grand jury. Okay. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, this story, uh, your story, is having an impact, I, I think, uh, certainly in Tennessee. Um, tell me about uh, what uh, Representative William Lamberth uh, wants to do uh, in, in response to hearing your story. 
Yeah, uh, Representative Lamberth is um, co-sponsoring a bill that will uh, create a lifelong uh, permanent order of protection for victims of extreme violence like myself. And, you know, and you and I have talked, Nikki, about this before. Uh, On the one hand, an order of protection is a piece of paper. It's not a suit of armor. Um, But it does offer uh, folks like yourself, again, that 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 legal recourse. Right. If this guy ever gets out of prison, tries to contact you again, um, there are additional penalties that then come with that. This is. I don't want to, you know, as much as I might say, look, this is a piece of paper, not a suit of armor. That doesn't mean that I don't think that these orders of protections uh, don't have their place. They do. Yeah, I realize that it's it's just a piece of paper. And there are people that are just evil enough to walk right through them, which I think this man is. I think this man is evil enough to just walk right through an order of protection. But if he ever shows up around me, uh, from what I understand, the penalty will be very severe and, uh, he'll be locked up again for a very long time. And, you know, nobody really wants to talk about this, but I'll talk with you about it. Um, you know, we as gun owners, we carry, you know, for our basic human right of self-defense. And I don't think there's any of us that actually want to have to use that gun. Yeah. Um, I want to avoid it if I if I can. I mean, I don't want to have to do that. But God forbid if I did have to do that. Um, I think this permanent order of protection would be a pretty darn good defense. I uh, I, I think that you're right about that. And again, I'm I'm with you. I don't think that anybody. Look, I have a fire extinguisher in my kitchen. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I want to protect my house from burning down, but I never wake up thinking, oh, today's the day. I hope I get to use it. Um, I, I think gun owners feel the same way when it comes to caring for self-defense. Just because we exercise that right doesn't mean that we want to ever actually have to pull out our farm or ever be in a situation where our life is, is threatened. Um, I don't, I've not met that gun owner, uh, you know, who's eager for that to happen, quite honestly. But if God forbid we are ever put in that position, um, we do have that right of self-defense and we will exercise that right of self-defense uh, in defense of ourselves and in defense of others. And, you know, I know that this has been something that has been a critically important issue for you uh, as a two-way activist, because when your husband Ben was murdered, you had a concealed carry license. You were carrying, but you couldn't carry that night because the establishment that you all were uh, uh, operating in was a gun-free zone, which didn't seem to matter to the man convicted of killing your husband, but it mattered to you, the law-abiding citizen. Exactly. I think so many of these gun control laws like that, they just affect good law-abiding people because those penalties are very real for us. Yeah. You know, I don't want to lose my handgun carry permit. I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be in trouble with the law. I want to do what's right. But, you know, these evil people with evil intent, they don't care about these laws. Murder is already illegal. So how are they going to care about a gun law? Right. Exactly. 
Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're exactly right. I, I wrote about this in a, a different context earlier this week, talking about in Illinois, uh, you know, homicides in Cook County are at uh, an all-time high in terms of the raw numbers. Um, carjackings doubled. I mean, violent crime is through the roof. And yet, legal gun owners uh, or those wanting to become a legal gun owner in Illinois, there's a backlog for the firearm owner identification cards that are required before you can legally own a gun in the state. It's like a six-month wait. On average, you know, there are people who've been waiting even longer than that. Uh, and so, again, I mean, it gets back to that point. Criminals, the, the FOID card's supposed to be there so that criminals can't get a hold of guns. Well, what's happening is that law-abiding people can't get a hold of guns. They can't exercise their right of self-defense at a time in which violent crime is soaring. And clearly, the criminals don't seem to care that they're supposed to have a FOID card or they're supposed to have a concealed carry license if they're carrying a firearm on the streets of Chicago. That doesn't matter to them. That's not a factor. But as you say, for the law abiding, those are real consequences. We don't want to have even a misdemeanor conviction to our name. We don't want to lose our right to keep and bear arms. And this is, I think you're so spot on, Nikki. This is why gun control gets it backwards. Because the people who really are impacted and the people who are really deprived of the ability to uh, to own or possess a firearm are not violent criminals. Oh, sure, if they get caught, maybe there are going to be repercussions. But as we're seeing right now, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of Americans who are stuck in this legal limbo because the state hasn't given them permission to exercise a fundamental constitutionally protected right. Yeah, it's pretty concerning. It, it is concerning. And I know that this is something, again, that you are involved in uh, uh, with the Crime Prevention Research Center, trying to ensure that we've got good data, that we've you know got the, the, the facts and the analysis uh, to show uh, exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, and, and again, I, I can't thank you enough for the work that you have continued to do. Your activism um, has absolutely been incredible to witness and, and to watch and to uh, support what do you, Nikki, let me ask you this. What do you need from us, uh, the Second Amendment community? Because you've done a lot for the Second Amendment community. What can we do to help you right now? I would really appreciate it if everyone would be nice. Don't be mean, <laughs> but yeah. be nice about it. But contact the Tennessee Department of Corrections. The commissioner is Tony Parker. And just ask very nicely that they completely revoke Hank Wise's early release good behavior credit. Okay, we can do that. I'll find the address and uh, I will uh, include that in our story so that folks can uh, write and I'll try to find an email as well um, because that, that is hugely important. If we can do that uh, I, I and I think that we can put pen to paper, I think that we can sit down and write our emails uh, and show our support for you, Nikki. I, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story. I know that this is such an incredibly difficult and painful situation for you. And I know that even talking about it hurts. Um, but I hope that it does some good in raising awareness of what's going on, not just with you, but I know that there have got to be other people in similar circumstances. Uh, and, you know, the idea of, well, we got to worry about what the uh, prisoner rights activists would think. Sure. You know, sure. Think about those folks, but also think about the the victims advocates. Think about the victims and their perspective as well, uh, because honestly, and I don't care if this sounds cold or callous, if it comes down to siding with the man convicted of this violent crime or siding with the victim, I'm siding with the victim. And I have no hesitation to say that. 
I appreciate that. Well, we appreciate you, Nikki. And again, if there's anything else that we can do, please let us know. I know we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to keep talking, but uh, please give us any updates as they come in. And um, again, I'm going to do my part to make sure that those those polite, civil messages start coming into the Department of Corrections there in Tennessee. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Well, any anytime, Nikki. Nikki goes to join us from the Crime Prevention Research Center here in Barry and Arms, Cam and Company. I do appreciate Nikki joining us on the program. We're going to keep you up to date on uh, what's going on with her situation there uh, in the uh, weeks ahead. But I'm glad to see that the U.S. attorney is serious about moving forward here with these charges. And uh, hopefully the man responsible for the death of Nikki's husband, Ben, uh, is going to be spending as much time as possible behind bars. All right, uh, we're going to skip today's uh, good deed of the day, our armed citizen story, our uh, uh, recidivist report. We'll get back to that tomorrow, but uh, uh, I, I knew that this conversation with Nikki was going to be a, a lengthy one, so we'll just leave it there. Uh, again, uh, join me tomorrow. We will have much more on the chaotic situation, not only in Washington, D.C., but I, I think a, a, the, the, the chaos uh, around the country Uh, What that means for gun owners, the 2A fights ahead, uh, and how best to wage those political battles. Again, that's coming up tomorrow on Cam and Company. In the meantime, don't forget you can subscribe to Town Hall Media. That way you'll never miss a program. Or if you like Rumble.com, just look for Bearing Arms Cam and Company there as well. Uh, Also, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. You can find us there as well. Have a great rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, be well. Be safe and be free.